Welcome to On Par with the President. Joining me is LSU physics and astronomy doctoral student, Michelle Lally. Her research is focused on developing ways to transmit data at high capacities within robust quantum systems. Her area of expertise, quantum communication, may help protect our most sensitive information from your credit card number to health records, from being hacked in the future, as well as preventing cyber attacks. In addition, Lolly is an advocate for equity across STEM subjects, particularly in the field of physics. And she is a member of the steering committee of the American Physical Society's Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Alliance and Physics and Astronomy's DEIA. On Par with the President is a podcast that is focused on LSU community members who are doing great things. A golfer who can play par golf is at the very top of the game. And so the whole point of this podcast is to talk to extraordinary people who are affiliated with LSU. I got to say from the beginning, before I ask my questions, the reason you're here is because I've never seen anyone more excited about quantum physics in my life. (laughs) But but let's help other people get to know you. Where are you from and how did you get to LSU? I am from a small city called Southfield. Uh, It's just north of Detroit in Michigan. And... um, you know, made my way to and through the Midwest down here to Louisiana State. You hold multiple degrees, both in finance and physics. When did you decide to move from the business world to science? So I started out at uh, Clark Atlanta. Um, I think uh, it's very apropos, um, especially in the current climate, to um, just give support to the HBCUs, so Clark Atlanta University, or the illustrious Clark Atlanta University. I went there and obtained uh, my degree in finance, and by junior year, uh, I knew that the field wasn't for me. I had family members who had went into finance, and so when you're young, you're kind of figuring out what you want to do. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'll do, do what they did. And I had friends of mine who had done internships for, you know, major investment banks. And just the stories that we would share, uh, I just didn't see that as a part of my personality, the person who I would need to be uh, to uh, survive and thrive, as it were. And I end up coming across a seminal paper um, on quantum teleportation. And this was during a phase where I was kind of figuring out what I really wanted to do. And once I read that paper, you know, I thought, beam me up, Scotty. Like a lot of people, I found out later, to my disappointment, it wasn't about beam me up, Scotty. Um, but it was about beaming information. And I said, hey, I don't know what that is, but I want in. And that's what led me to my path of physics. Talk to me about why higher education and your continued education has been important to you. So my grandmother, I was born and raised in Mississippi. And unfortunately, at the time, the only job that she could find was um, picking cotton. I want to make sure people know that's a modern story, right? Obviously, slavery had been over for over 100 years. Um, But unfortunately for her, uh, you know, there weren't really a lot of opportunities where she could actually provide for her and her, um, her family. It's important for me to show her that, hey, you know, this is what you did. These are the sacrifices you made for my mother's generation. Um, to which they further pushed the legacy of education. Several of the members of my family have um, a master's degree. And then I will be the first to have the PhD um, in a STEM field, no less. So it's all about moving the legacy of education forward. Education is uh, important for a variety of different reasons. Needless to say, when graduation comes around and I get to hand my degree to my grandmother, that'll be that'll be a pivotal moment to let well, her know. I, I want to make sure I get in a, in a photo op for that one. I, I want to be there <laughs> sure. for that. You know, Look, so it'll I, be this May. 
So, oh, <laughs> well, God willing, that's going to happen. Then I'll be in yeah, that God photo Yeah, God willing, out. absolutely. So now here's the hard question because you're literally a physicist, right? That's what you are. And for a lot of people, that's kind of intimidating. How would you demystify quantum research and help people understand it at the local and community level? People will come up to me all the time and say, oh, you're at LSU, what do you study? I study physics. And the first thing they say, oh, you must be so smart. No, I just work really hard. I'm passionate about the field. It's interesting to me and I want to learn more. We have to reframe this notion of intelligence being linked with certain fields, nurture being linked with other fields, artsiness being linked with certain other fields. Um, it all kind of works together. Look it up and see if it's of interest to you. Quantum research seems very high and lofty and people are talking about it. It comes from very basic mathematical principles that one starts to really get end of middle school, maybe the beginning of high school. And if you're interested, it is absolutely accessible. I was in finance and I happened to read a paper. I understood probably five to 10% of that paper. But I remember just seeing teleportation and that word just sparked, you know, an interest. And now, again, later on, disappointed that it's not, I'm not able to beam myself anywhere, <laughs> but we can beam information. And so it was the initial spark of interest and not being afraid to be uncomfortable or feel like I had yet to get it. People want to make it seem special and, oh, you're special because you study this thing. No, I just had an interest in this field and I went for it. And I think one has to have that humility because we are, you know, the, the, the caretakers, right, of the physics. And we want to make sure that everyone can have access to it if they'd like. And I'm here to tell you that you absolutely can do it. You absolutely can have access to it. You can read those Google articles and then go be formally educated in the field. Help me to understand this. And, and a lot of people will understand quantum and, and securing their uh, private information online. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conversations about that. How else will quantum communication impact the average citizen and you can project out into the future if you would like you know go ahead and get star wars like on us here <laughs> and uh, really help us understand because i i want people to leave this knowing that this is an area that they really need to pay attention to quantum communication the end all right now the technology that is getting everyone in a tizzy is the quantum internet um a fully perspective, hack-proof, um, or penetration test-proof, robust way to link people together. So we have the current internet, and obviously we've seen a variety of different information breaches, what have you. The one thing physically that dominates the conversation of quantum is when you have a secure protocol. Um, we always use uh, people sending in messages, Alice, Bob, and Eve. Eve is short for eavesdropper. So Alice is trying to send a message to Bob. For the quantum internet, the point is to make sure that Eve cannot access any of the information. Um, because some people will say, well, if she gets information that's useless, it doesn't matter. Well, how do you define useless information? You never know what other resources the eavesdropper could have to put the puzzle together. So 
the quantum internet is kind of the dream where it's hack proof and that is taking a lot of collaborative efforts globally. So that is the big deal is that we can actually have a quantum internet and that you are 100% certain that your information is safe. This is from the individual securing their credit card information to very big conglomerates and their industry um, secrets. So again, this is very forward thinking, you know, we're talking some decades in the future, some people think a lifetime or more, um, just because we're still working with the constituent parts. Some people are very aggressive um, with their thoughts of when technology will be brought on board. Some people are more conservative, um, but make no mistake, we are definitely moving in that direction. And that is kind of the big deal right now. Um, I think that will be the first big deal. I think many more are to come. Being a product of uh, Clark Atlanta University, I am not surprised. The, 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 the illustrious, uh, the illustrious Clark Atlanta Oh University. my gosh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the illustrious Clark Atlanta University. I'm not surprised of your, you know, your heart to humanize what you're doing. And I know you're involved with uh, equity-related work in STEM fields Absolutely. and wanting to see uh, more people uh, who may not have historically been involved with physics and other STEM fields sure. uh, across racial lines. Tell me about your experiences there and what drives your advocacy work related to uh, STEM education. My advocacy actually started because of things that I faced um, while I was actually going back to school. And just, just some hardships. I was an older student, obviously going back to school with, you know, surrounded by younger students. And unfortunately, it, well, it's starting to change now, but unfortunately, uh, historically, it was perpetuated in the media. You know, physicists looked a particular way, um, typically white male. It makes individuals who don't look like that, it prevents them from maybe seeing themselves successfully in that area because, oh, well, only people who look like that study that. So that's not for me. And people end up counting themselves out. This kind of links back to the previous discussion um, on like, you know, being able to make quantum accessible to the local community. And, you know, my equity work really revolves around culture of a department and the culture of um, inclusion in the department and having spaces where students can feel free to express, you know, discouragement, disappointment, um, especially with those in power in the department. So for me, equity actually is, is more about shared leadership. It's about centralizing marginalized voices. And when you talk about educational hierarchy, especially the graduate student, I could be biased, but um, there's always the stereotype about the workhorse, right? The graduate students. And because different groups are ran differently, you just never know what's gonna come out of that. I've had a pleasant experience. Not every graduate student can say that. And because of the power dynamic between a student and their advisor, a student and a department chair, a, a dean of a college, um, not our dean, because I love Dean Peterson, uh, but it absolutely affects how the student feels that they can navigate in that space. So you don't want to say anything because you don't want your advisor to keep you away from opportunities. So for me, that is the focus of my equity work. Does it go into the fact that I'm a black woman and I'd like to see more black women in STEM? Absolutely. The big picture for me is making sure that everyone has access to share their experience and be taken in as an entire individual human being and not relegated to conforming to a culture that's not them. Well, thank you for that. And it uh, sounds like you're going to be a university president. The 
let, let's uh, segue to a couple of fun questions, maybe one fun sure. question. So you've described your hard work and your research, but you have personal time too. People might want to understand what does a physicist do for fun? What's important to you? What do you, what do you like to do? I sleep. What are you talking about? No, you know, I um, have a couple of hobbies. One is I've actually recently taken up the violin. Um, I do like learning and I do like doing different things. And so I said, you know what? Physics sometimes, um, especially just being a graduate student, not even in physics, right? But grad school can be stressful. So let me take up, you know, something interesting that I want to do and I could do it lifelong, right? I can continue to improve for my life. I said, you know, I'll, I'll do the furthest thing from physics and I'll, you know, study an instrument. And I chose the violin, to which a friend quickly pointed out to me, you know, a violin is waves on strings, right? Right. <laughs> which right. is like physics 101. So even in my endeavors to move far from physics, the violin is an instrument that is purely uh, based on physical oscillation. Well, I hear you had a question for me. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but if you do. Yes, um, you know, and this actually ties into um, uh, the, the discussion just before the previous. As stakeholders at the university, what kind of structure that you've seen so far that you're working on, perhaps in the future, what structures will be put in place such that students, junior faculty members, senior faculty members um, can move towards that support, that kind of departmental collaboration, but that it's a partnership? and not necessarily uh, us against them. Um, I don't know if you would even be doing any initiatives like that, but if you could see something, what would that look like at LSU such that those relationships and those collaborations and those bonds could be more colleague-like, especially at the graduate level, but even extending it to undergrads? Well, first, as a former graduate dean, I always tell people graduate education is the most decentralized function on campus. Um, it is absolutely driven um, by department culture. And as you noted in your conversation, it varies by lab. The variation is significant. Um, what you're describing requires some form of standardization that uh, when I took over as grad dean at WashU, I told people it was just not possible. But what I, what I did say there and then what we accomplished and what we're trying to do here is one of the great tensions that manifests itself for graduate students in this, where this power dynamic uh, plays out initially, in my opinion, is around resources. And um, if we thought through um, some standardization strategy where we said that there was a floor with respect to what graduate students, in particular PhD students who I think you know, live, breathe, uh, it's, it's their life course. Master students are a very different world, as you know. But sure. the, the full-time PhD student, um, in my opinion, uh, should have a very much a guaranteed floor on their the finances that they are receiving so they can live a life of, with, with some dignity and respect. That's at its very core to me. And, We'd appreciate that. And, and on the other hand, um, it's extremely important that they have uh, and can take care of themselves and have a healthy life. And that sure. requires... Uh, uh, substantial uh, health insurance investment. And so in combination, if you provide graduate students, PhD students in particular, um, this floor where they could actually live here in Baton Rouge and also that their health uh, benefits are taken care of in a consistent fashion and in a fashion that they don't have to think about what's going to happen in year three of my studies or year four, it lowers the pressure 
any anxiety, which makes for the possibility for greater collaboration. Because I think in, at its core, uh, we as humans want to make sure our needs are taken care of. Absolutely. And um, I feel like right now that's the opportunity in front of us at LSU. And we have a committee looking at that right now. I had a committee like that in South Carolina. I listened to them for a while. And afterwards, I just said as provost, no, here's the floor. And, and you're going to pay their benefits. And you've got to adjust how many people you admit based upon your resources to get them to that floor and make sure they have that benefit. Now, that, that changes the game. And I think we're headed that way because, quite frankly, and I've said this in a public f forum, it's unethical to admit students at the PhD level and not give them a time horizon in terms of their funding and their health care uh, benefits in clear terms as long as they are doing uh, the academic work and stay in good standing with the university and their department. They should be funded for a window at least of five years, in my opinion. You know, in science, if you, it's taking you longer than five years to do it, somebody's already beat you to that problem. So they've already got that solved. You're, too, you're going too slow. So, but the five-year window would give people, I think, um, a chance to really um, work well. And I think it also takes a little sting out of the power relations because the professor can't lord over you with, well, maybe your funding's not going to be there. No, the mm. heck, that, that's not the case. The funding's there exactly. if they're in good standing. So it, it changes everything. And, and I think that's something we need to do here at LSU. I'm committed to that. And uh, during my tenure, I want to see that fixed. Well, I personally thank you for that. You know, something that you mentioned, it releases the pressure. And I think for a graduate student, especially a doctoral student, um, the further you get in your program towards doctoral candidacy and then after candidacy, there's so much on our minds. Department challenges that are unnecessary that's one thing that can be taken off of our plate. So I really appreciate the fact that even though you noted that it's kind of an impossible problem um, that would require several iterations, maybe machine learning, uh, <laughs> to understand how one could address department variation, you found a solution that was just as applicable, um, which is also systematic, and that, hey, well, if we can give them a way to have some dignity, that could give them a bit of confidence to know that their lifestyle, you know, won't be adversely affected if there is, you know, any kind of challenges with their with their immediate supervisor. So thank you for that. Well, we'll try to make it happen. Michelle, it's been great to have you on, on par with it's the president. It's an honor. Thank you. You certainly represent the more excellent way. And uh, we appreciate <laughs> you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.